Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hey, folks, welcome back on the show today. Man, it's a good one. Gil Bash is one of the most genuine, authentic, unabashed, philanthropic, principled human beings I think I've ever met in my entire life, and I'm not understating that. He's ex-military for the Israeli Defense Fund, paratrooper, medic. He's an ordained rabbi. He's been in the healthcare game with this laser-focused approach to genuinely helping people every day. But I'd be completely remiss to sum up all that is Gil Bash in this introduction. You're just going to have to listen to the show. Ha ha! Ladies and gentlemen, Gil Bash. I feel like an event horizon is upon us, Gil, to have us both occupy the same space at the same time here in the studio. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, I just want to let our listeners know that we are about six feet apart. Yeah. Well, all things considered. And we've been very, very mindful of that. I want to let everyone know that Matthew is obviously very protective of his guests. So come on down. I will also mention that I'm completely covered in Purell right and you're, now. You're wearing actually a, a shirt, your signature shirt, that clearly is antiviral. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it can repel many people. <laughs> well, that's where the virus is yes. carried. I'm totally, I'm shedding weird things with well, my shirt right now. it is such a thrill to be in this special sound booth with you. No, I, honestly, I, it's been such a long time coming in a We've been ships in the night for so many years. We've been circulating in each other's like orbit like Pluto every now and then we come around. I had to sleep in the stairwell to finally get on this program. What is? <laughs> I didn't want to make a Gil FOMO thing go on, but like, yeah, it's about time, man. And all your friends on the show. Yeah, really? Holy mackerel. They keep on saying, Matthew, you need to have it on the show. Matthew, I said, what can I say? I've got to work up to it. It's fine. It's fine. You are welcome aboard. I just find the general karma that you emit as just a human creature on this planet, is emotive of just a peaceful nature. Are you hiding something from us, or are you really this dogmatically principled? I think what you see is what you get, but I think the concept of principled is my channeling the pain and the passion that I see around me. The pain of this planet and its people. There are many people who are not as blessed as we are. And I've been in situations throughout my life, my own upbringing. I've seen poverty. I've seen hunger. I've seen 
people struggle in life, those images don't escape me. So what drives me is the pain of the planet, but also our actual passion to want to do good. I think people really are great. I've seen people in the worst situations do amazing things to preserve life. So having been blessed to see that dichotomy of experience and retain those images ignites my energy constantly to want to do right. I tell people that when you hear people's cries for help, you have to answer. And for those of us who are in the health communications field, there's many of us, thank goodness, there are people who need our advocacy to gain access to care, to encourage scientists to keep trying and inventing and struggling to come up with new ideas that are meaningful. There are people who can't afford access to care, who don't have the information to make informed decision. If you're involved in one of those professions and you know that you can help people, get out of bed, get going, do something. So where's your take on the calculus between youth optimism and jaded ageism on the perspective of what can and can't actually be done in the real world? So you know what happens? We get beaten down as the journey goes on. We're told, no, you can't do that. There's a reason for that. We get more anxious about our careers, of not looking foolish, of of maybe disagreeing with powerful people and finding yourselves out on the street. So I have a perspective about that that's a little unusual. I answer to a higher authority. I do recognize that I'm a visitor on the planet. I do recognize that I'm finite. And because I feel I'm time bound, I feel I'm a visitor, I also feel that sense of obligation and responsibility not to be frightened. I, I will share a story. So, you know, I was in the military for a number of years. I was a combat medic. And one of the proudest decisions I had to make was to go out and rescue wounded enemy soldiers under fire. Why would one person do that? They're not of my flag, of my uniform, of my nation. But when someone's wounded, they're no longer a combatant. They're a broken vessel that is crying out for healing. I think that people have to be bold and brave. We have to understand that their actions as younger people or not as younger people actually are seen. They're seen by other people around us. They're seen by that source that I mentioned, that higher authority. And I like to believe that when we do the right thing, Without the desire for reward, it emboldens other people to join the parade. So I'll counter that, or maybe augment it in some way, that American culture has created less optimists. And maybe it's the news, maybe it's our confirmation bias, maybe it's how we're influenced with because we live in a free market that sells us shit all day that we don't need and things that we don't want. But this idea of exceptionalism and selfishness and me versus we, I get the sense that this country is two countries. But are you on the long game that this will come around? Believe it or not, this country has always been a country of perspectives. It's nothing new. Right. The difference is at this point is 
Many of us have a smartphone. We have three major cable networks, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. One is constantly talking about COVID. The other one is talking about the political divide. And the other one is talking about how the election was stolen. And so we're we're beaten. We're, be yeah, we're beaten over the head with this. I tell people, put down the phone for a few moments. Look around you. Right. Miracles are happening all the time. If you only look up and around you, you'll have plenty to be optimistic about. I had an experience in Brooklyn a few weeks ago. It was a cold evening during a holiday period for me, and a man walked into a diner where I was getting a cup of coffee, and he asked for some change. And I looked at him, and I said, how about some food? He looked at me like, huh? And I said, get some food. Order some food here. He ordered some food. He was very hesitant. And then I said, how about something to drink with the food? That wasn't the miracle. The miracle was when I went to pay for my food and his food, the man who owned this little bodega said to me, that will be $7. I said, $7? I'm paying for this together. He said, sure, $7. You see, their kindness is in abundance. Open our eyes. Look away from the phone. But the next miracle happened when the man who I bought the food with took me outside and he wanted to show me a large outside a subway station, Hanukkah, a menorah. Right. And he said to me, I want to wish you a happy holiday. And then he went into the subway where he told me he rides the subways through the night as his home to sleep. The whole experience for me was miraculous. You see, he gave to me much more than I'll ever give to him. And so, Matthew, I don't think we should really look at the harshness or the divides of the world. Look for someone you can help today. That's the opportunity. Everyone should look for someone they want to help. One person, the small miracles add up in the cosmos to change the world. So I'm Gen X, and all of my friends and their early 40s to early 50s, we feel a sense of strange entanglement with modern day society because we're the last generation that can appreciate life before too much information has riddled our society. So we have a very difficult time understanding this psychological disorder of constantly doom scrolling because it's basically engineered to stimulate your brain chemistry and you can't escape it. I have no problem turning off my phone when I want to and being able to just relax and watch television. One could argue I run a company and I have to do business and that's different than just staring at a screen waiting to be offended by something. But do you have a sense of, you know, look up once in a while is a nice thing to say, but how can you see past the choices you don't know you can make? So there's a few things that I do, actually, for personal practices. Each person should find their own path. I really do believe that we have to search for opportunities of kindness. And by the way, I'm not even talking about this on the, on the streets of the big city of New York or other big cities or communities. I'm actually talking about just 
as they say, random acts of kindness. Right. And I actually do practice that. I do look to help people. I also understand that my words and my behavior impact other people. So I try to be mindful of what I say and what I do because I know it's really going to impact other people's emotional place. I'm saying, how would I feel if someone did that to me? And so I read things, I hear people, and I try to stay present. It's hard because my mind is really working at like 80 miles an hour and I'm multitasking. But when it comes down to this is important about you, I tune in. That's one. Two, I understand that people have lives outside of the workday. They have other pressures. I try to sort of sit back and say, what really matters? There's more to us than business. I do pray. I go out to a forest almost every day. And I sit for about 30 minutes to an hour in solitude. And I watch, I just watch, whether it's the trees or the leaves or animals that walk by because I'm so still and I seem so safe. So I I do try to separate my business life from the world of life. My wife and I just wanted to watch like the very first episode of Sesame Street. And it was written by stoners in the late 60s. And you could tell it was slow by today's standards. It was relatively unstructured. It was a great social experiment, but it's unwatchable by today's standards. And then again, I wanted my kids to watch Empire Strikes Back. But even then for them, it was too slow. They had to watch, you know, the fast moving new one by J.J. Abrams yep. to get that sense. If we're living in such a fast paced society, do we lose the very appreciation of slowing down because we've never maybe experienced it? Yes. And there is a built in danger to that in the world, which is to sit long enough to understand that this moment that we're joined in right now has lasting impact. What we do today is going to impact the well-being of our grandchildren or children. And so we have to actually have the peace of mind to say, I need to think this through. I need to think through my consumption. I need to think through everything. Because if I don't start to think about it now, there may not be really a, a very satisfying tomorrow. So that's the problem of the action, action, now, 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 which is it's about the moment. It's about that physical gratification like sugar high Mm -hmm. of the moment as opposed to the gratification of growing your own food, seeding the land, watering and weeding, seeing things come up, and then reaping the crop. We've lost that skill of actually building a world generationally. And that's a risk factor. It's not just a risk factor in terms of we're building generations that are, are, are so multitasking. Focusing on one thing is not satisfying. It's focusing on getting stuff done for the long term for our common good is at risk now. I love that idea. And we'll be right back with Gil after the break. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. 
So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, we're back. And I wanted to just dive into something I really admire about you and other people who kind of got into media and understood life before the dot-com boom. My listeners love to hear just the perspective of how things are different, better, different, worse today, 20 years later, 25 years later. What was your first email address? So uh, that's a wonderful question because I was on email before people were on email. My first email address preceded AOL. And it was a number. I actually worked for something called The Greenhouse, which became AOL.com. I had been given, when you paid for AOL, lifelong free AOL. It became free for everybody. Right. And my first email address was Gil Bash, G-I-L-B-A-S-H-E, at AOL.com. So I worked with a, a person who I peripherally stay in touch with on LinkedIn, Laszlo Horvath, and other people in the health area. Alan and Erwin that that really launched uh, Better Health as part of the, the whole health movement on AOL. Very important people in my life. And I got very much involved in sort of the digital area. I did a study of about 13,000 patients. I published this in 1995. And I wrote about how the World Wide Web would create communities of people who had similar health concerns and unite them beyond the demographics, beyond the economics. And people thought I was nuts. Right. Right. This World Wide Web thing, what are you talking about? It's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. I said, it's going to happen and watch. I was probably one of the first people who ran out and got an Apple Newton. I still have it. It's on my desk oh, at the office. The Newton. The Newton. That's extraordinary. That's kind of what I wanted to hear. My first email address was in September of 92 when I started college. So when I came in as a freshman, we were the second generation students to get email addresses. And it was bb07840 at bingdaxa.binghampton.edu.something, something, something. And man, was that a treat to just have. But you had a vanity URL. Really <laughs> That's early. incredible. Really early. But I was really struggling. And actually... My interest in media precedes that. 
um, with, uh, he, he's a friend, he's a mentor, he's a client. His name is Tim Wright. He was in DuPont. He was an up-and-coming product manager. We launched a product in Washington, D.C., a life-saving product called Viaspan, an organ preservation solution. And we did something that the media wrote about as breakthrough. We had a physical press conference that was on satellite. You could see it any place. Like pay-per-view? <laughs> Not pay-per-view. You could see it. With going on simultaneously a satellite media tour and a radio media tour, and this is in 1990. Terrestrial. <laughs> Terrestrial radio. Yeah. So the reason I said that, I've always been interested in omni-channel communications. I've always understood that beyond the print newspaper or magazine. What's a magazine? Right, right. People are hungry, hungry to know. And I'm less interested in the medium than the people and their hunger to know. So I've always sort of leaned toward, okay, how do we satisfy those people who really need to get this accurate information to make an informed decision? And that's been a driving force in my life. I'm going to validate something you said before about AOL being the future of sort of peer-to-peer. -peer. I have a friend named Steve Friedman. He had testicular cancer in 1994. And we met years later at Livestrong. But he was on AOL in 1994. And he started the very first testicular cancer AOL group. And there were like 170 guys in there within like three weeks. And it was, it's an untold story of like peer support was there. We made it. Advocates made that happen. And AOL created the first opportunity for that to really ever happen. This is really important because a paper I wrote in 1995, I urged the biopharmaceutical industry to get involved and make the World Wide Web, the web, the internet, available to people with health concerns. I said, make it available. They want community. Help them unite. Listen to their voices. Be a supporter of their journey. And the people on the advertising side of the industry and on the industry side said, our customers are doctors. What's the patient have to do with right. this? Right. God forbid they're considered a customer. Right. So obviously the tune has changed radically today. Sure. But in the 90s, let's face it, it was a, I send representatives out with the newest information to speak to physicians and they're the learned intermediary. Stay outside. When the adults decide, we'll let you know. That can't happen any longer. And by the way, I have a, a dear friend, Craig Lipsit. Love Craig. Shout out to Craig. Shout out to Craig. Craig said to me once, when we, I talked about a seat at the table for patients. He said, a seat at the table? It's their table. <laughs> Don't they own the house? Right. And so I think that we have to start to organize at least our information and our communications around the ultimate needs of the people we really want to help. People with health concerns. When the World Wide Web tried to get into health, which was like the earliest dawns of like Health Vault and Google Health, like 05, 06, before broadband, really big ideas happening then. But society wasn't ready to trust the World Wide Web with health data. And yet by 05, 07, we're still buying stuff on eBay. Can you speak to this adaptation hesitancy? You know, this is it goes throughout all industries, and I'm on the creative and communication side of the health sector. And they always say, "We, I want something creative." And when you show them something creative, they said, "Well, who's done this before?" <laughs> right? That's you've heard this again and again. 
the reality is the Food and Drug Administration and other government agencies are very receptive. These are public policy. These are government employees for society. They want to do right by people. They actually have to abide by the law. But along with the law, they want to do right by those people they seek to serve. We have to get into the conversation with them. And that's one aspect that has to happen here. One of the other aspects that has to happen is the patient universe has organized around the industry. The industry shuffled its feet. And guess what? We saw with people in the AIDS community, HIV community, their lives were on the line. And they had the energy and the passion and urgency to organize. And then everybody said, wow, no, let's organize. Let's organize around heart disease and cancer and ALS and you name it. Part of it is we have to open up our hearts. Good decision-making doesn't always come from the ledger, from the balance sheet. Sometimes it comes from opening up our eyes and looking around at people's suffering and urgency. And we have to say, if that were me, what would I need? What would I do? And then we have to organize our organizations to that goal. We can't sit on the sidelines when we see suffering. And I would say that our industry, particularly as we look around us right now, has to recognize it's not just about inventing miraculous vaccines at hyperspeed. We've got to do what some of the companies have done. We've got to advocate for all people of the world having access to those miraculous innovations. The best of our industry is now saying, wait a minute, innovation is part of getting up the hill. But staying on top of the hill is reputation. It's doing what's right for other people. We've got to be proactive and think of ways to demonstrate our true intent is to bring innovation to the people. To further confirm my bias that you are Nostradamus, reincarnate, you wrote a book 21 years ago called Branding Health Services, Defining Yourself in the Marketplace. Where I want to go with that is acute health care, not like chronic migraines and whatnot, which are still terrible, is a supply-only economy. No one can't wait to go on Katruda one day. It's very antithetical to think of it even as a market, because no one wants to shop there. And yet the doctors, the customers, <laughs> going back to this whole idea. But where are we at in terms of the private sector, health, lifestyle, prevention, wellness, well-being? At the beginning of the pandemic, I actually read the book again, and I published a few pages from the introduction as part of a, an article I wrote, because what's so eerie is they speak to us today in many different ways. Um, and the importance of, of health brands and the importance of our relationship with the customer, um, physicians, patients, caregivers, payers, providers. We don't have a healthcare system in this country. We have a sick care management system. Nobody's calling someone up and saying, you know, Matthew, it's been five years since your last colonoscopy. I'm calling to make the appointment for you. No one's calling up and saying, when was the last time you had a stress test? If you're a woman and you missed your mammogram, two, three years, no one is calling you up and saying, please come in and have your mammogram or your pap smear or whatever preventive test is necessary to keep you 
healthy. The burden is on us. We are our own essential primary care management system. Because we have a sick care system, we've got to bring industry. I'm not talking about the payers. I'm talking about the employers into the game. 52% of people in this country get their health insurance from their employer. Those premiums are not going down. They're going up. Solution, pass some of the cost on to you, the employee, right? That's one way to do it. Solution, shop around for cheaper insurance. Companies do that. Solution, offer you fewer services. Reduce the bundle. No one is saying, wait a minute, that's a kick the can down the road sickness idea. Maybe I could lower the health bill by actively engaging in real behavioral health, getting you to do your preventive checkups, getting you to eat better. I could assign coaches to people who need coaches. I could assign people to make sure that people get those reminders about their tests. We don't do that in this country. By the way, other developed nations that offer health insurance, they do do that in many cases. Israel, top of the charts. Right, especially in terms of vaccination. But Hong Kong also, they spend a third less than what we spend on healthcare. They live 10 years longer. What's going on there? We assume because of our scale, scale means right. No, scale means big, means big sickness. Right. And so we've got to look at this differently. Someone has got to take charge. My book does talk about that. 21 years ago. So that's and so still so, dead on accurate. It's so creepy. But we got to get down to brass tacks tomorrow. All right. Last question. Recommend a book. Two books. One is reducing. I'll allow two books. Thank you. Thank you. Take Control, Reduce Your Cancer Risks by John White. Forget about the fact that he's just dealing with cancer. He basically says, look, forget about the genetic aspects. Genetic aspects are triggered. There are things you can do to reduce your risk. So whether it's cancer or heart disease or diabetes, or whatever, very good book, good model. But the other book is Bill Gates's book on the environment. The reality is he talks about the fact that we really have 35 years to get it really back on track. So again, one book deals with personal health. The other book deals with planetary health. Guess what? Don't have planetary health, don't have health. That's right. Gil, I don't know how to exit you from the show. You have a billion credentials, but why don't you exit yourself from the show? You dominate the first seven pages of a Google search. So that's a pretty high number. They'll have to visit me. <laughs> Holy mackerel. But did you know that Googling yourself is called ego surfing? Really? Ego surfing. So what did you find? Oh, tons of stuff. Uh-oh. Your scandal is pending. I'll find it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I'll totally find it. <laughs> Thank you. What's the most important thing you want listeners to know about you besides being the mensch of all mentions? I'm here with Matthew today on his program. For me, it's a privilege to be with him. And I'm inspired through your life, Matthew, and what you're doing and your joy. I think joy is a remedy unto itself. We need a lot more joy in this world. All right. So Gil Bash, fan of me. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Shalom Aleichem. Next year in Jerusalem. Amen. With better health care. Bye. <laughs> That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. 
Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.